Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds today. We're very excited to talk with you about poverty solutions and the child tax credit and so many other interesting topics. Can you please start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? I'm Luke Schaefer. I'm the Herman and Amalia Cohn Professor of Social Policy at the Ford School of Public Policy and a professor of social work here at U of M. And I'm director of Poverty Solutions. Poverty Solutions is a university-wide initiative that partners with communities and policymakers to find new ways to prevent and alleviate poverty. So we build on the work of basic research to really be connected with communities and try to figure out what works and be a part of implementing positive change. And in what areas does your work and your research focus? My own work is on poverty in the United States, and I've written a book about extreme poverty, families who aren't just poor, but are extremely poor, um, and the interaction between that and social welfare policies. How do programs work in supporting families, and where could they do better? You shared a little bit of information about poverty solutions. Can you go into some more detail about the work that's conducted as a part of the initiative? Poverty Solutions really stretches across the entire university. So we have a team and our goal is to be in partnership with policymakers and community stakeholders across all of the things that impact families' lives. So we really think of poverty as often the result of systems, structural systems that don't work like they should. Think of uh, affordable housing, think of transportation, think of education or the labor market. So we wanna to try to figure out evidence-based ways to intervene in those systems so that they work better and they empower families to live healthy and productive lives. We have a team, uh, much of our work is focused in the city of Detroit. We have a partnership on economic mobility with Mayor Duggan and his team. And I have a number of staff members who are embedded at City Hall and work on things like the digital inclusion efforts of the city, affordable housing, as well as uh, uh, homelessness uh, policies around uh, homelessness camps, encampments, and uh, labor market policies in the city. We have a lot of work with the state of Michigan, uh, where we have a close partnership with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, and we work on uh, things like energy policy and food assistance. And then we advise communities uh, all the way up to advising uh, federal lawmakers. On, on the best types of things that we can do nationally. So you're joining us today to talk about the child tax credit in President Biden's stimulus plan. Can you start off by explaining what the tax credit or I've heard it called allowance as well, what it is and why it's being referred to as unprecedented? So the child tax credit really starts uh, from a very simple principle. The principle is, Raising kids is expensive, and society and government has a reason to help parents do that to the best of their abilities. And it builds on a type of policy that's very common in other countries, the United Kingdom, uh, Canada, uh, many other European countries, many Western industrialized countries, to say one way that we can support parents is with a small uh, cash stipend that can go to families and say, we know that 
being a parent is hard. And we're going to help you uh, with this small cash statement, this modest cash statement to help you do it uh, in, in the best ways that you know how. And uh, other countries have adopted this. It's sometimes called the child allowance. It's sometimes called the child benefit uh, to tremendous success. So in the UK, they adopted this kind of child benefit as part of a, a broader package of child poverty reduction strategies in the late 1990s. And they saw their child poverty rate decline by 50%. In Canada, they did something similar and had uh, also saw a dramatic child poverty reduction. So in this country, we build on a type of policy that we already have called the child tax credit that does this. But the thing about the child tax credit is it leaves uh, low-income families out. Actually, a third of families don't get the full credit. And many uh, very poor families don't get any credit at all. And it says, we're going to have one policy, one policy for kids who are low income and kids who are middle income, everybody in the same policy, recognizing that the work of parenting is hard. And we want to be there to support that work. And it distributes as a, as a monthly cash transfer through this tax credit uh, amount uh, at $250 per child, $300 per young child under six every month that families can use to pay the rent, pay for childcare, buy toilet paper, uh, pay the energy bill, or uh, buy educational materials for their children, right? The things in their lives in that moment that they see as most important to that work. So here's a couple of things that are unprecedented about this. One thing is in the United States, we tend to not treat low and middle income kids the same. We say, here's a set of things we're gonna do for middle income kids, Here's a set of things we're gonna do for low-income kids. And often those things that we do for low-income kids, they become stigmatized. This takes the approach that looks a lot more like a program like Social Security. Social Security for the elderly is our most successful anti-poverty program. You see those benefits come in and you see poverty among the elderly decline. And, and even today, if you look at like foods like things like food insecurity, the elderly have rates of food insecurity that are two to four times less than families with kids they're two to four times less likely to fall behind on their rent because they have a program like this, which creates a sort of stable cash transfer that is received monthly, right? So this child allowance tries to do kind of a similar thing to say, you're gonna get the small stipend per kid to use as you see fit. And it treats families uh, who are low and middle income exactly the same. And in that way, we think that uh, it might be sort of more sustainable in the long term. And the poverty reduction, so just like Social Security that has, you know, has nothing to do with poverty and it's framing, the child allowance or the child tax credit, similarly, is going to treat low, low and moderate income kids the same, but that poverty reductions are huge. We're talking uh, projected from our, our, our colleagues at Columbia University to reduce poverty by 45%. We're going to reduce child poverty by 45%. Poverty among um, uh, African-American children by 50%, poverty among Native American children by 60%. Those are the projections. And that is just unprecedented for the, the type of movement that the United States would do on child poverty, which has historically had very high rates of child poverty. And most importantly to me, it's going to provide this cash cushion, right? To say, uh, no matter what else happens, right? We know um, most families uh, in poverty work 
but that that work can often be unstable. And we can say, this is going to be a stable thing, right, that you can use to parent your kids, right, to take care of your kids. Uh, and that that's, that's something that you can depend on over a year, two years uh, throughout their childhood. Certainly uh, very significant. And I am wondering if you can elaborate just a bit on what this means to families who are experiencing financial difficulties and what, what they can use this for and just you know really elaborate on that impact. So the idea behind this is a very libertarian notion that says uh, often government likes to provide very specific services, right? Say uh, we might create childcare centers or we might provide sort of a housing program, build housing. And this says maybe the simplest thing that government can do is, is provide dollars and provide money and that we can reduce bureaucracy, right? We can become little government, but also still be there for families. And the things that you see, um, we're actually in an interesting period during the COVID crisis where starting last uh, spring, we've taken the most, uh, the approach that we've taken has been most similar to what I've described as anything that we've ever done before. So rather than doing programs for uh, middle-income Americans or low-income Americans, we had stimulus checks that put everybody into the same bucket. We expanded unemployment insurance so that low-income workers who often have incredible difficulty getting that um, were able to get, get those benefits. And the results have been astounding, right? We've been in the most cataclysmic economic crisis in modern times, yet the financial health by some measures of Americans has actually improved over that time. So the fraction of low-income Americans who say, they could handle a $400 unexpected expense has actually improved uh, during the COVID crisis. Delinquencies from um, housing loans and auto loans, those things have actually gone down over that time. And we haven't seen sort of a tidal wave of evictions like we expected. And that's because when people get cash, they tend to use it to meet their basic needs. They pay the rent, they pay the utility bill. And here's another interesting thing that we learned from Canada. So sometimes people worry, oh, if you just give money, some folks may not use it in, the, in ways that are approved by society. And in fact, in Canada, what they found is, is as the child uh, benefit uh, rolled out in Canada, actually spending on things like alcohol and tobacco went down. They didn't go up, they went down. And the theory behind that is that sometimes substance use is a response to stress. And one of the things that's most stressful is not having enough money to meet your needs, right? So by actually alleviating some of that stress, we can actually, in the aggregate, reduce those kinds of behaviors. And there's other research that supports sort of similar findings as well. How is Poverty Solutions helping families navigate the child tax credit? We're going to do a range of things. The first thing is that we want to make sure families know what they need to do to get this benefit, right? They know what it means and they know what to do. So we've created a website. It's going to go live called poverty.umich.edu slash child dash tax dash credit. That's poverty.umich.edu slash child dash tax dash credit. Uh, where families can go and just get sort of the basic information of what they need to do in order to uh, find out if they're eligible for the program, uh, make sure uh, that they're telling the IRS where to send it, um, file their taxes or file the non-filers form, uh, 
so that they, um, they're basically all set up for it. And then it can answer a lot of their questions. One question a lot of people have is, oh, this money might be great, but is it going to impact my other public benefits? I'm on things like food assistance or uh, public health insurance. And the great news is that the way the federal government set this up uh, was to not impact those benefits. So we want to make sure families understand that uh, and so that they know that this is a stable amount. Or they might say, because other programs like uh, food assistance, as you earn money, your benefits go away. And that can be really hard for families to manage. So we wanna make sure folks know that this is a stable benefit to, you know, until you hit $75,000 a year as a single filer and $150,000 a year for a joint filer. Until you hit those high income, you're gonna keep all the benefit. It's just gonna stay stable, right? So in that way, it's sort of a pro work type benefit. The other thing we're doing is just a lot of research around it. What are the impacts? Uh, so we're talking with this incredible um, app called Fresh EBT that serves over uh, 5 million uh, food assistance beneficiaries across the nation. And that's just incredible numbers, 5 million, right? And so we're working with them to disseminate this kind of information about who's eligible because uh, all families on that are gonna be eligible. And then also do some research to figure out you know, what does it look like in the first few months? How many, what fraction are getting the benefits? What fraction, you know, what are the biggest questions on their minds? We can survey just at this huge scale with them and, and do other type of research. And, and what are they using the funds on? And what are some of the impacts? So it's a, it's a really exciting time uh, that we'll be sort of going along in this twin track. We did a similar thing uh, with the stimulus checks where we had a website that helped people um, find out all the details about how to access their stimulus uh, site. And we've had um, over 550,000 people through that website. So we're excited to be able to um, hopefully even see bigger numbers than that um, in this work ahead. You mentioned the research that will be done within Poverty yeah. Solutions on this. Um, from anything, any work that you've done thus far, can you share anything about the projected impact and whether this is something that's temporary? So an important piece of this is that the provision that has become law and it's going to start to roll out uh, this summer is a one-year provision. So this one-year provision said we're going to increase everybody's credit you know, up to that sort of phase out level that I mentioned. And we're going to distribute half of the credit uh, on a monthly basis. It really says periodic basis. But uh, the intention is starting in July, people will start to receive the stable monthly support. If it's not made permanent or if it's not extended past that, um, you know, we're going to see these really big poverty reductions. And then it's all going to go away uh, next year. So there is quite a, a vigorous you know, there's going to be uh, discussions in Congress, and there's a lot of support for a provision like this. It's actually, interestingly, there's some bipartisan support. So when this proposal came out, uh, Senator Mitt Romney uh, made a, another proposal that looks a lot like this with some important differences, but the structure was fundamentally the same. And so there's um, this discussion about whether it should be extended, how long it should be extended. Of course, you know, I would like to see it uh, made permanent. Uh, because of, I think, all of the evidence that supports it. Uh, but those are decisions for policymakers to make. And then the research will have to sort of answer the questions of, you know, the great thing is I, I think of this as sort of a fundamentally um, conservative policy in a way that 
Uh, and but what I mean by that is that we've seen it work time and time again in other countries where other countries have adopted it. This isn't sort of a new idea. It's really decades old that we could build on all that evidence and bring here. But of course, we'll want to continue to assess it. And one of the big questions right now is where should a program like this sit? It's set up as a tax credit, but it could be administered by the IRS or potentially the Social Security Administration. The Social Security Administration is really good at getting people through the process of accessing benefits, right? And they have more offices all over the country. On the other hand, does, uh, if, it's a, if it's a tax credit, does adding another bureaucracy complicate things? And so that's one of the questions we'll want to see, you know, how much do the questions of parents have about how this works? How long do they persist? And, uh, and then just how it works out. And, and if we really do see the poverty reductions that we're estimating that are really in line with what we've other seen in other countries. So it's a, it's a really exciting time for research on this. I think we're gonna learn a lot. I think this is a relatively simple pro program, but no program rolls out without complication, right? So um, figuring out what those are, being responsive to those um, so that it can be as successful as possible is, uh, what we're interested in now. And you talked about how this compares to what other countries have done. And you also you know, mentioned a little bit about what the US has done previously in this regard. Is there anything else that you want to add or explain in, in regards to how this compares to what either other countries have done or the US has previously done to help families? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, we talked, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about other countries and how it really builds on a record of success. So that's one of the things I like about it. In some of the conversations, I think some people say, well, uh, does this go back to sort of an old system of cash welfare that we had uh, years ago? And uh, I see this as an entirely different animal from that. So the cash welfare system that's only a shell of its former self, um, that people are often not aware of that to begin with, right? Uh, that's sort of the program, uh, the idea that if you prove that you are low income, you can receive sort of a cash supplement every month. Uh, it's really declined in Michigan by a lot. I think we've seen uh, since that uh, a 90, 1996 law went into effect, the, the scope of that program has declined by about 90%. It's just a tiny fraction of what it was. And um, so it's not providing sort of this cash safety net. So there are a lot of families who are able to access uh, food assistance and sometimes housing assistance. And they might get these refundable credits every year, but there's sort of no stable help uh, for the majority of very low income families for rent or utilities or um, underwear or school clothes or interview clothes. Um, but that program was very stigmatized. And, and so while there is this gaping hole at the bottom of the safety net, um, I think there's, there's not a lot of interest across the island going back to this. This is a different program. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of reduce benefits as people work, right? So it's pro work in that regard doesn't stigmatize families by saying you have to, you know, you have to, you, this is a program for poor families. Somebody famously said, um, programs for poor families are poor programs. And this says, you know, we're going to take a simpler approach and say, we're going to bring, you know, all kids matter and taking care of all kids is important. So we're going to treat them equally, precisely the same uh, with this exact same benefit. 
And so it's really a, an extremely different conceptualization of, of how we're going to address uh, the challenges that people face. It doesn't pit one group against another. Well, you know, one thing we saw about this, uh, like a program like Catch Welfare, is that people who have just gotten above the line are no longer eligible. They often, um, it created some animosity, right? Because they would say, you know what, I'm still struggling yet, and I'm trying to work yet, um, you know, you're doing something for this other person. And, and so I think in the old ways that we've done things, we created division between people. And this really says, you know, we're going we're gonna to do away with all those. And just one piece of evidence that um, I think there's something to this is the stimulus checks that we did, right? So those were also unique in that families who are very low income, they got the exact same stimulus check as a, as a middle income family, you know, even to some... Um, sort of upper income families. Uh, yet that program spent billions and billions of dollars to low income families. Uh, and we often in my field say that, you know, that's an incredibly unpopular thing to do. Yet those stimulus checks are incredibly popular, right? Uh, last poll I saw suggested 80% of Americans think that they're a good idea. And the evidence is that they work and that they work really well, right? As we've seen this sort of incredible like financial stability for families during an unprecedented economic crisis. And by the way, the fastest return of jobs that we've ever had during an economic crisis too. Um, so I think it points to a new direction um, that I'm incredibly excited about uh, in this country. It's gonna be very different from anything we've done in the past. So this has been so much information that you've shared with us. So I want to boil it down to one or a few takeaways. What is something that you want everyone listening to know about the child tax credit? Well, the first thing I want people to know is I want them to know about uh, the benefit and make sure that they or the families that they know uh, are receiving it. So you could go to our website, poverty.umich.edu slash child-tax-credit learn all the details and make sure folks are, are getting on. And then just to keep the simple principle, right? That uh, this policy says raising kids is expensive and the government has a reason to help parents do that work. And this is a way, a, a tried and true way that other countries have done it and we're bringing it here. And in doing so, we could see transformational poverty reduction. And you shared the website, and we will certainly include that in the show notes as well so that everyone can easily find that. Is there anything else um, from Poverty Solutions or any other resources or tools that you want to mention? Well, I just encourage people to check out our Poverty Solutions website, poverty.umich.edu. And we really think that our work uh, has to be done in partnership. It's done everything we do is in partnership with communities and policymakers. We try to start with asking questions. So I think you'll find that um, you know, a lot of issues that people don't think of as being issues related to poverty really pop up on our, on our website. We have a whole set of work on auto insurance in Michigan, uh, something I never expected to be working on. And so encouraging people to just look around them, right? And think about what are the ways that systems we have, whether it's public transportation, um, right, the organization of communities, the organization of schools uh, that impacts uh, low-income 
uh, you know, my neighbors who uh, might be struggling financially? And how are there ways that we can enhance those systems? Small, medium, and large, right? What are the things we can do tomorrow? What are the things we can do next week? And what are the things, the big picture sort of transformational changes? Because all of that matters. And I just want to welcome the whole Michigan community into this kind of problem-solving type way of doing this work. Um, and, uh, you know, as you enter into that, we'd love to hear your examples of, of challenges that you didn't even know about, that you learned about because you took the time to ask, and ways that your communities are going about solving those challenges. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and share all of this valuable information. As I mentioned, we will include the link in the show notes. And thank you again. All right. Thank you, Erica. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.